Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91. It's time to cast off on a new adventure. This is Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Hello and welcome to Real Adventures from wherever you're listening, right around the country. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood joining you this morning to talk all things fishing, boating and the great outdoors. Good morning, Redman. Good morning, Patrick. Uh, excited to be here as per usual, but I'm a little bit more excited for the trip that I've got coming up, which we are going to talk more about shortly, but you actually adventured out on the water during the week chasing a couple of tuna fish. I did. I um, took the little stabby out for the first time in... I, I shudder to think how long. I'm thinking it's maybe eight months, maybe longer. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Yeah, I reckon longer. Yep. It was, it, it's probably not. It, it, it might be ten. Might be a year. And well, so we well, did. Have you we taken dusted it, out, it off. Have you taken it out since you've been back from the Gold Coast? No. I well, then how long were you in the Gold Coast for? Yeah, wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, I reckon it's close to ten months. Which yeah, it has to be. But I did get it serviced before. We, we went out over the weekend. Our so good friends at uh, Melbourne Marine Centre yep, down there. Dad took it up there probably a month ago, um, which was just as well because we ended up getting a few things replaced, battery replaced. Like as soon as you don't use a boat... It's, 100%. Like there's a, there's a balance between... You don't necessarily want a motor that's done 4,000 hours and been, <laughs> don't on buy mine. <laughs> and been on a commercial fishing boat. But you also... You want to be mindful of buying a boat that's, you know... Uh, a motor, rather, that's 10 years old, that's done 20 hours, but hasn't ever had the the constant servicing. Like Motors are designed to be to be run. To so be when used. you see a uh, 1550 Stavey up for sale from Mogs, don't buy it? It's a cracker. It's a cracker. <laughs> it's like, compare, you drive your car. How often do you drive your car at full noise? You don't. You don't. No. You know. You live in, in, in Ocean Grove, Barman Heads. Mate, driving you, drive a, to six, you drive at 60 k's an hour. I have 80 kilometre speed limits between Ocean Grove and Point Lonsdale to Queenscliff, and I don't reckon with the, all the oldies that live down there, it's a lot of abuse coming from my car. <laughs> and it's like that right around the country versus when you buy a, a boat, quite often you're at, when you can, you actually run it at full noise as fast as you can go, particularly on a beautiful, calm, smooth day. And it was over the weekend. There's a bit of swell, clearly. Um, that you get it going. So anyway, that was it. Was great to get out. It was the swell was massive. It was about five foot. So it did come up. Yeah. Normally we launch straight off the beach, straight into the bass rate, basically. So we um, we went to a, a local beach to launch off. That's really well protected. Launch there. Took out George, which was great. So he absolutely loved it. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, through the social club and making sure it's an, envi- an enjoyable environment for and kids safe. When you're taking out fishing. Yeah, and safe. Um, especially into the ocean in beach launching and stuff, how you go about it. That's what we're going to... But it was driving me nuts. We would come up on these tuna schools. Mm-hmm. There's birds everywhere, and they are just sitting there, sunning themselves. There's, um, it was doing my head in. They're being tougher to catch, they're, but that's to do... We're going to talk a little bit more well, about I thought that the moon. T- tougher to catch until you send me a photo. Yeah. I've got a nice 40 kilo one. Uh, we actually got an absolute monster. So we were did. out for, I think, three or four, well, say four hours, and we hooked six... And landed three, and one of the fish took an hour and twenty minutes to get in on a twenty pound samurai reaction, twenty to forty pound samurai reaction, which is like the reason I say the brand of the rod, not to plug it as such. It's more they're actually quite. It's a new range. It's quite a strong rod, and I've been using these rods all season on fish from fifteen kilo right through to thirty five, and the odd bigger one. But this fish, 
like I said, it was Aaron, an hour and 20, it'd have to be, hour and 20 minutes of this. We just couldn't move it and ended up going well over 40 kilo, which was um, amazing to see. And, geez, it pulled some line. And to get the strike on the surface cast, and I, so I've put the lures away. And I am, there is a question in the social club, so I won't talk too much about, uh, about the, the lures and whatnot at the minute. But I've more gone into your surface casting and approaching the fish like I did last year, Pat. So it's more about getting in front of them, getting the bungees into them and the plastics. The issue that I'm having at the moment is the mutton birds. I don't know if you had them down where you are. Yeah, caught three of them. You caught three. Well, I, I reckon genuinely I, caught three. I generally caught 500 on this day. <laughs> so every, so I was using soft plastics every, and I'm casting in front of the birds. So yep. Yep. remember the paint, the picture that I always try and explain to you is the birds aren't necessarily following the fish. So... What I mean by this is... They're following the, fish, the bait. Yeah, that's right. So the fish comes up, they smash the bait on the surface, the bait gets dispersed and gets lost, then the birds eat that. And the tuna have moved on another metre in front of that. So you're trying to get in front of the birds. Mate, I'm casting 10 metres in front of these birds, and every time the plastic goes down, I've got 10 of these mutton birds... So annoying. ...trying to eat this stupid white plastic. And, oh, and like, I'm, I don't mean to be saying too much bad on radio, but the amount of birds that you're seeing out there that are getting killed because... They're eating people's lures and whatnot. It's actually a little bit sad to see, but it's you, you can't do it. You, you can't like they're literally going out of their way. I'm like, mate, there's that much bait in the water. I can see it on my sonar. <laughs> it's the bird eat stop. The, saying it's the mate, trying to eat a six inch soft plastic. The bait they're on is half the size of your finger, quarter of the size of your finger, and it's made out of plastic. Stop eating it. The fish can eat it though. <laughs> Eden, so, one of our favourite places. To fish, certainly yep. one of your favourite places to fish. You fish the region every year. You get a trip with the boys going. You take the boat up there and you chase marlin. Just Those about to leave. <laughs> that, that don't know, it's the beautiful coastal town of Eden, the south coast region of New South Wales. Sapphire Coast. So it's it's roughly 500 k's um, to Sydney. So beautiful place, incredibly popular with recreational Fishermen. Over the last 10 years, we've seen a huge explosion in those interstate visiting and travelling to the region as we see more seven-plus metre yeah, trailer boats, trailable yeah. boats. Um, but your plan of attack as you head up for next week? Yeah, we'll give you a little bit of wrap-up what we're going to do. So I stay... So this trip is uh, purely, as I learned a few years ago, when my mate started not liking me from the abuse I was giving him while we are chasing Marlon and me screaming at him. I've actually learnt that they're there to have a holiday. It's our holiday. The boys take time off work. I'm doing the same, hence going fishing. <laughs> but, but it's a holiday that I, uh, I've been, I, I look forward to every, every single year. And when I say holiday, it is a holiday. Yes, I am fishing, but we have a great time. And we go up there and we get to catch Marlin. And there's so many different species of fish you can go there. And the reason that we go to Eden is there is an Eden amateur comp on. And what I mean by that, it's a, it's a sort of an attraction that people can go to have a purpose to catch a fish. They've bought in brag mats and the like, so you don't need to kill your marlin anymore to wade in. You can measure them. Yep. You can do all sorts of stuff. Which has that. changed over the last, like the last 10, 15 years. Yep. It's gone from Full people, tagging. people boating their marlin, taking a photo on deck, to now it's bring the, boat, uh, bring the fish alongside the boat. Yep. You get the tag in, you get the photo you know, lying over the side of yep. the boat. I know you've got a wonderful photo of actually going in and swimming with a marlin. Yeah, don't from, advise from it. From a few years <laughs> back. For those at home, there's a few big nails up there, so we'd, <laughs> we'd recommend against it. 
but it's changed. The fishing yeah. landscape has changed. Well, this amateur comp was always kill a few years ago, and it's the heaviest fish. And the only last couple of years they've changed it to this. And even their flatties, Pat, like they've got big meter-long flatties up there, and a Tartha River and the likes. And you can fish up to there with the rules and regulations in the comp. And this amateur comp is a comp that I highly recommend to not just amateurs, experienced people. If you want to go there with your family and have a bit of fun, it is terrific. They have a uh, like on the, we go to the bowling club on the Thursday night. We go and have some uh, beers down there. They do like raffle prizes and everyone goes, has a good time. The uh, first night's always good fun. When you first get there, the induction night on a Friday night, they take you through the rules, the regs, the comp. Everything's fantastic along that side. But also, there is a reward for effort. So there's, I think there's over 20 species, Pat, starting from... There's over... Spend- there's over 20 species, Pat, starting from literally mullet to mulloway to uh, to brim to yellowfin whiting to marlin to you name it. There's all these species that you can take your, your kids to go catch off the pier and potentially win four hundred dollars. You got the male category, and you've also uh, you got the male category, the ladies category, and you've got the kids category. And four hundred dollars in the male, I think it's two hundred dollars in the female and whatnot. But it gives you a purpose to go target something, and you can try and win some money, which is great. So it's a good comp if you can win one prize. It pays for your fuel for a few days, which is always awesome. So we started our trip. We left my joint in Ocean Grove. We get the ferry first one seven o'clock. We head over there and we make our way down the highway. Not a bad drive. About seven hours from Sorrento, uh, Melbourne. You're looking at probably seven hours as well. So it's a pretty cruisy drive. Not. You're not travelling 10 plus with sevens at borderline where it's not a full day, if that makes yep. sense. Yep. So we get up there. Uh, we do things like we did when we were 18, and I've been going there literally since I was 16, and I uh, we stay in cab- in tents. We literally stay in tents up there and have still the, t- the best way to do it, mate. We have the time of our life. We set it up so much, so awesome. Like Robbie comes down and gets his gazebos. I got a gazebo thing, and we set up the marquee around the tent. We have one tent as the home base, which everything goes in. Then the boys set their swags up. I sleep in one side of the tent. When I say Robbie, sorry, my Pat doesn't like when I refer to my friends. <laughs> no, I have no issue when you refer That's to your right. friends on air, just not randomly like Marco, Marco and Bob. Well, give us a bit of context. All right. Well, Robbie's a friend of mine. So he sleeps on the other side of the tent. We've got to watch out for Gibber, though. He's a major sleepwalker, Patrick, and it is bad. Like, I'm talking one year. Well, this is one of the first years when we're young there. I'm not joking you. Robbie goes, as, and we're actually both in the one side of the tent. He goes, Gibber, what's wrong with Gibber? I'm like, what? He's smacking me on the arm. He's like, mate, seriously, wake up. What? And Gibber's sleep talking to himself. Bad sleepwalker. Sleeping to... He's trying, he's going, as, as, is this right? Is this how you do it? And he had a loaf of bread and a lighter trying to live bait, a live bait with a lighter and a bit of bread. The lighter is the hook. Is he, is he brim fishing? Or? <laughs> he was going for marlin. He's going, is this how you do it? Oh, is there the fish there? Anyway, off track. But well, that's a good story because he's shocking. And we go up there. And like I said, it's a fun trip. Which Our target is marlin, but there's so much different variety we can target up there. We've got Mahi Mahi on the fads. And this year, I spoke to Jason from the Caravan Park. Now, we stay at the Eden Holiday Village there. It is an absolute cracker. Best place to stay. Jason and the crew down there, extremely friendly. And we stay right on Wigan, the campsite. There's cabins all on the water and whatnot. It's only, I reckon, by the time you get out of the caravan park, I reckon it's about a minute to the ramp. So it's not far at all. Literally close as you can get. They've got nice club rooms down there. And then we head out. Jace reckons the Mahi Mahi are the biggest he's ever seen off the shelf for quite some time. So last, like, which is good. He also said the snapper fishing and the gummy fishing on the bottom is second to none. And that hasn't been like that for a long time. King fishing is on the slower side of things, but fishing not too bad if you can find the school. They're just moving. There's not many patches of fish, and they're moving between areas. 
And you've also got Twofold Bay. And the reason I say it's family orientated, this place, is because, yes, you have to travel a little bit extra to the shelf. But if you go up there, for example, if you take George up there and uh, and Felicity, if you want to go out there for a fish, you can go out with your dad and myself. We can go to the shelf on the marlin one day. And the next day, we can fish Twofold Bay. And we can catch, in, in the northerly, it's blowing 20 knots. We can catch Taylor. Flathead, live bait, you name it. Mulloway gummies in Twofold Bay, which you can't do in other places along the New South Wales coast. For instance, Bermagui. Well, Berm- this is all because of the EAC, the East Australian current. current that runs in quite close to shore. So all of a sudden, it's bringing those pelagic and game species quite close to shore, which you just don't get in other parts of the country. No, and the Twofold is just a protected place that just, it's a, it's a bay that you can launch your boat in. There's no bar crossing, like Burmese pretty safe, as we know, but is horrible at times. And also, like, you can't, if it's blowing 20 knots from the south, you're not going to go chase them. A lot of people won't go chase a marlin. And then if you're in Burmese, you're pretty much done for the day, other than the rivers. Like, But if you're at Twofold, twofold or Eden, where we stay, we can go to Twofold. We can go have a couple of beers of a night, and set up, uh, set up a Mulloway, um, Mulloway, a Burley from Mulloway or a Gummy in Twofold Bay, have a few beers, have a barbie on the beach and head back in a couple of hours later and get ready for a mile on the next day on the nice day. So there's so many different options that you can uh, target out of Eden. And like you said, Pat, it's, it's a very picturesque place. Is that the work? I know you don't like my word. Picture- oh, it is. Picturesque. Yeah, I thought I liked that one. I got it right this time. It's a beautiful place to stay. And uh, yeah, I love it. And if you haven't been there, make sure you head there. We've got a massive show of Real Adventures coming your way this morning. Make sure you're joining the conversation. You can send in your questions for the social club, which we have after the break. Send them in to our Real Adventures social pages or better yet, download our Real Adventures app. Plenty more Real Adventures after the break. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's time for the Social Club where we take your questions from social media. If you've got a question for Aaron or I, make sure you shoot it into our Real Adventures social pages or better yet, download our Real Adventures app. It's got plenty of tips. There's videos on there. Recipes. Recipes. You name it. It's all there. First question is from William. Red, are you finding the tuna harder to get on skirted lures as of late? Uh, Good question. Uh... So we had the moon come past on the weekend, and that full moon that well, last weekend, I should say, hence why everyone is uh, everyone was out fishing because it's quite calm weather. But the problem was everyone's running these skirted lures, trawling around, and they're trawling that middle that morning tide, and the odd person's getting the odd fish. But I always talk about tides and how things uh, how they Im- impact on our fishery. And one thing is the tuna is something that I believe is very hard to get on a full moon, and I know this, and nearly everyone will agree with me. That afternoon, hence why I went out on Sunday in the afternoon. Yep. That tide was bigger. I knew that they were going to feed. Now, what I mean by this is you're going to say, oh, there's tuna here, there's tuna there. I could see them. They wouldn't take this. Yeah, that but, was me. That was, <laughs> that was literally my well, experience no, on Sunday. It was, there was no tide yep. at all. So what's happening is the bait's come and getting pushed up and the fish are just eating it at their f- free-for-all. They're just cruising around, doing their thing. They're not feeding extremely hard. They're more feeding at their own leisure. When there's tide changes and times that they need to feed, for instance, when you've got big tides off normal off, 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 on a normal day, yep. you know that as you approach the end of the tide, that's when they're going to feed hard and you'll notice the tuna will be in a tight spot. So they won't... Where on these moons, what you're finding is the fish are moving. So yeah, you get close... spread out. You, there's a huge range. Yep. You get to them and then they either disappear yep. or because there's no nothing, no reason for them to hold them up other than the fact they're feeding at their own leisure... I believe they feed overnight very well too on a full moon as well, hence why those bigger tides are overnight. 
but hence gummy shark fishing, whiting fishing, full moon is better overnight. That's when they feed. And same as the tuna. Now, the skirted lures, I won't lie to you, they have not been anywhere near as good as what they were. The bangers teaser bars are still working probably better than just running your skirted lures. Teaser bars are going to catch you more fish. They are by a long shot. Yep. The only problem with them is at the moment, trawling around with your teaser bars in the calm conditions which people are fishing on, there's so many boats and you're spooking the fish. So I've transferred away from my lures on the back of the boat into my casting techniques. So I've really pushed into the bungee casts and I've really pushed into the soft plastics, Pat. Now, you've got to be smart with your eyes. This is, And I went out with a fella on Sunday. I actually did my first guide I've done in a hell of a long time. And a fella hadn't uh, caught a lot of trips with no fish. And we went out. And from the minute, basically, we got on the boat, he sits down on the seat next to me. And he goes, and he's just sitting there cruising. And we're cruising out. I said, what are you doing? He goes, I was just driving out here. I said, well, there's no tuna in the water. And he goes, what? I said, so you're going to sit down here and you're going to drive to where you where we think there's fish, but you're not going to be standing up looking for these birds because there could be a tuna school there. And he goes, oh, right. Yeah, okay. So from that instance, I knew the fact that he'd just been driving places and not being observant. Yep. Being observant with this tuna fishery is, is the most crucial element. And my client, I get home of a night and I'm screwed. I really am because my eyes are going- concentrating all day. Just whole day. Like it's like, I'm without, it's like I'm on drugs, how much I'm trying to concentrate to tell you the truth. I literally am. The whole day, I'm literally looking around, looking around, just trying to find everything I possibly can. And what are you looking for? Are you looking for birds swooping or are you looking I, for I'm looking, the, the surface rippling? did a salt guide talk during the week and uh, the salt guide talk that I did was, uh, was based around tuna fishing. And uh, what I mean by that is it was just pure tuna fishing from the minute I get out there to what I do. And like I said, as soon as I get out there, I, uh, I legit um, start looking. And it's not, for, it's not for fish and it's not for, bir- uh, for birds feeding and whatnot, Pat. I'm following those birds to where the fish are. They're going to take me to the fish. If I head out, for instance, you and I go out tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock. I come out of Barwon Heads. I hit the 20, 30-meter line. I'll start seeing birds flying. They're coming to go to an area where they're going to feed for the day. They know where they're going. We follow those birds. Don't just drive out there and stop and hope. I follow those actual birds to the spot of where they're going to take me. I'm watching them the whole time, and they're going right. They're all going right. Okay, why is that patch going left now? So that's going left. All right, there's only 100 birds going left, but there's 500 going right. You make the call. All right, we're going to follow the main, the main flock. And I just follow them down to wherever they take me, and they will always take you. I'm looking for them sitting on the water. I guarantee you, if you're out in the ocean and you see birds sitting on the water not feeding, they're just sitting on the water not feeding, you sound over them, I guarantee you there's, uh, there's bait under them. They're not just sitting there. There's bait under them, and there's a reason they're waiting because the fish... Waiting for him to bring the it up. fish will come up into that bait yep. and bring him up in that somewhere in that vicinity. And I'll give you an example. This is probably a couple of weeks back, the best example I have. I was out with my brother James and another mate, Nipper, and we were out offshore and nothing was happening. It was dead. And I said, it was new moon. I said, lunchtime tide, let's, it'll go after this tide. I said, I promise you. We couldn't find birds, nothing, nothing at all. I finally found a patch of birds sitting on the water. I knocked the boat out of gear. I legit had my salad roll and I sat in this seat for 40 minutes. Didn't get up. I didn't drive anywhere. I had three or four patches of mutton birds around me just sitting there doing nothing. Nothing at all. I had mates out there that were looking everywhere. No one had found anything. I had Chris O'Crossy, a couple of charter boat guys I'm talking about, regular guests on the show. No one. I'd literally sat there with nothing and I waited. Everyone goes, you hooked up. No, I'm no, I'm just waiting for the fish to come up. I said, what? Can't exactly do it. Do that as a charter boat operator. No, you can't do that as a charter boat operator. We're just going to wait here for 40 minutes, <laughs> yeah, guys. wait for the fish to come. <laughs> that is true. But I sat there, and sure enough, Pat, 40 minutes later, 
bang, one fish jumped out in front of the boat. I said, get ready. I put the teaser bars out and started trawling around. Then all of a sudden, 10 minutes later, it was on. Exactly where I was, to the meter, I caught as many fish as you want. All the boats had left the whole area. They'd gone. I had it to myself. I rang Chriso from Gone Fishing to come over. He managed to get a few fish. We ended up fish after fish for about an hour and a half, and then we went in, had a time, best time, and that was just being patient and staying with the birds, where everyone else disappeared, but that's where the action was going to be because all the bird life was there. In the end, it went from being three or four patches of 100 birds to probably 10,000 birds. Like It was incredible because they all just come out of nowhere, as you know. So it's about being smart with what you're doing on the day and making sure you've got the bungees, the plastics, and the trawl ready to go. Next question is from Pat. Aaron, you took my Tiagra 50, my Tiagra 30, <laughs> and two other game reels three years ago. I understand you're going to... <laughs> Eden this week. I'm wondering when I can get my reels back. Cheers, Patrick. Well, Patrick, the answer that I've got for you, thanks for sending your question in. The answer I've got for you is this uh, is, and just for those uh, playing along at home, this is true. Three years ago, you took my reels, and they were how how new were they? Aaron? Brand spanker hadn't done anything, and that's the reason that Patrick. <laughs> I'm going to buy you. I'm going to buy you. You can have your Finn Nor back. I'm not a fan of that one. Uh, you can have. You actually said to me, "I'm I'm not going to give your reels back to you because I I'm embarrassed with the yeah because they're just in. they've been they've caught no word of a lie they've probably caught twenty five barrels they've probably caught thirty or forty marlin I'm not giving you they were brand new I am not giving you your rods back the way that they are when you require them I'll buy you some new ones <laughs> I want them to look good in the shed I will actually I will up. actually buy you some new ones next question is for you Patrick oh, an actual from, question <laughs> yeah this is a real question this is from uh, Barry to you Patrick. You took George out over the weekend, seen it on your social media. Any tips on getting the kids into fishing for young fishos and the safe way to go about it with your life jackets? Well, we, straight away, the, the first couple of trips that I took George out on the boat with and for, they, they weren't great because he hated wearing his life jacket, but you just have to drill get, it into you, the head. You've got to get through those first couple of trips and then he just realises, all right, I'm wearing a life jacket. Now, we're all wearing life jackets as well, so that makes it a lot easier for him to, to get used to the fact because the stabie that, that we run is is less than 4.85 LOA, length overall, which means it's managed. You should have just said length overall. To wear them. <laughs> um, if you're in a bigger boat, that's a challenge where you don't actually – it isn't compulsory to wear your life jackets, but, you know, you should always have kids wearing them. So that's one thing that makes it easier. The other thing is we didn't make the trip too long. We went out – with the idea to be out there for sort of an hour and a half, two hours, regardless of how good the fishing was. That's just because you had some stupid meeting that you needed to get into. No, there was no... We usually drop you back off and me and your father go back out. (laughs) (laughs) No, there was no meeting. It was just so he could could be out there, really enjoy it. Like, he was loving seeing the birds. He loved actually seeing the fish jump. Not that we caught any ourselves, caught a few salmon, a few cooter. Um, But we kept that, that time limit. And after that, we headed in. So he was already starting to nod off as we were going in. So keep keep a time limit to how long you're going to be out there for. What are your kids? Don't have the same stamina for fishing no. that you do, regardless of how much you think that they're enjoying. What are your uh, What are your thoughts on? Um, now I've got Finn coming along. He's nearly one actually. One in a few weeks. It's gone twelve months has gone quite quick to tell you the truth. Does doesn't it? What are your thoughts? On iPads. Now, the reason I'm going to say this is I've known a hell of a lot of people that make their kids fish for a while. When they start to lose a bit of patience, they reward them with an iPad maybe in the cabin for a couple of hours and then they bring them back out. Like it refreshes them, takes their mind and they might want to come back out and happen. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's fine in the bay. Obviously, if you're in swell, I don't have an issue with, with kids. Like you don't want to have your kid spending on, eight yep. hours a day on 
you know, in front of a screen. Oh, I think it's a great option, as in like a distraction. Like you want them to spend time on the boat, get you, like you said, so they don't get yeah. seasick when they're older. And, and I just find like George is four now, and well, nearly four, and for him, days a long day. So he gets to the afternoon. He just needs a little bit of quiet time. So he watches a bit of TV, Gigantosaurus <laughs> for an hour, and then you know, flicks having a sleep, and then he's ready to go again. So for us, it's it's. It's making it as enjoyable as we possibly can, not overstaying our welcome while we're out there. So then the next time you want to go out fishing, then he's you know he's right mm. into it and he's ready to go. Yep. Last one is from Zane. Red, two weeks ago, I landed a bag of whiting with ease uh, three times during a week. Over the past week, I've headed out, I've fished the same spot, and I've really struggled. What have I done wrong? Yeah, now, that I've actually had that message come through, something similar to that on Salt Guide probably two or three times. Uh, I had a bloke that did land at 80, 70, and 70 in a couple of days, in three days fishing, uh, bags of them, which is fantastic. I love when people catch fish. Uh, rather than doing that and eating that than going to the supermarket and buying steak, to tell you the honest truth, Patrick. And it is... Uh, it's You need to... I know, I know for the fact what you've done wrong, and I can easily say it, you fished a full moon. Now, what's happened is, as with the week before... We're leading up to the full moon, but we weren't quite there. So we had very, very good tides. The tides are ripping like they are now. They are as good as they can get now. If you go back to that area, and I know the area that you're talking about, off the Swan Bay area there, a lot of fish there. A lot of fish. But once you get no tidal flow there, you, all you're going to get is a lot of crapfish, toadies, and the whiting aren't going to hold. They're going to push out into the deeper water or where the tide runs faster. So that is the reason why the moon is the one thing that has screwed you over, and basically that is the reason that you haven't caught uh, the whiting like you have the week before. If you've got a question for Aaron or I, make sure you shoot it into our Real Adventures app or on our Real Adventures socials to join in the conversation. Up next, we've got All Aboard. This is Real Adventures. All Aboard for Dometic. Everything you need for adventures, big or small. Mobile living made easy. Dometic. For all aboard for Dometic, everything you need for adventures, big or small. Dometic Mobile Living Made Easy. Our special guest this morning is Scott Fury from Fury Boats over in the beautiful Western Australia, where COVID hasn't really existed for the past <laughs> 12 months. It's been quite ex- extraordinary. Good morning, Scott. Good morning. How are you going? We're going well. Now, one thing that we've loved to have a bit of involvement with Mark Lacrae over the last sort of I don't 12, know about love, but we've, we've 12, put up with him. We've put up with him. 12 months. <laughs> has yep. been following his journey from purchasing and replacing his old, um, I think it was a Polycraft centre console to the beautiful 28 Fury boat that he now runs uh, with twin yep. Mercs. Um, talk us through your journey as a manufacturer. You've obviously been operating for, for quite some time now and in actual fact you're a, a second generation boat builder in Western Australia. That's right, yeah. Um Dad used to build the Fury 32s, and and uh, I grew up around boats. So, so yeah, I used to go to Rotto a lot, and and um, so I started making my own boats when I was probably 13 years old. <laughs> and and um, so yeah, um, I think the first boats that we were doing was like 24 foot center consoles, and and they've grown into what we're doing now. So talk to us about the the development over time, because if you looked purely on paper around yep. a bow rider and how that could possibly not only look terrific but be really uh, capable when it comes to offshore fishing but service yep. the Western Australian climate but more broadly the the Australian um, environment for offshore fishing. 
it, it really yep. is the only one of its kind that I can really think of that that makes the best of both worlds in family fishability and fishing up in the bow, but still being really capable in big waves and offshore. Yep, that's right. Well, we had to come up with something that that was really good for the family, the fishermen, and and had the protection there. So we, you know, really had to develop. Um, you know, having that windscreen going up to the roof and not having clears where, you know, you had that water flow going through. We wanted to, you know, really cut that part of it out. So, but having the back deck space and we do a bit of crow fishing and stuff uh, here. So having that 2.5 metre back deck is just a great, great setup for uh, for doing the fishing and everything. So, so yeah. Now, Scott, we are, Pat and I obviously are Victorian based and uh, here in Victoria, it's all Deep V hulls, deep V hulls, deep V hulls. Like whether you rebuild yep. in a 19R or an Eden Craft or a Cuda Craft, whatever they are. What are you yep. being in WA and having the weather that you have, building boats uh, to basically be suited for where you guys are? Well, how, how much yep. effort does it go into designing a boat from from the dead rise right through to the whole uh, boat in itself? Um, look, with our 28s, look, we've really set up that for for. For stability, um, we we've sort of got a lot of older clients that like that stable platform, and the twenty eight has got like an eighteen point five degree dead rise. So it's yeah, we've really tried to get the fuel economy right and get the performance right at the same time, and the sheer size of the boat, um, you know, counteracts that that dead rise setup that we've got. Just to so, just, ver- just to stop while you're just when you're on the, to that, uh, I guess your fuel. Uh, Making it so uh, economy, making the fuel economy the best it possibly can be with that boat. Is that because yes. the places that you visit is such distance to travel? For example, um, uh, islands and stuff. Well, look, we've got the Abrolhos Islands, and they're like I think about seventy k's off the coast. So, so yeah, trying to get that that right ratio with performance and you know performance and fuel economies, I thought was pretty crucial. Yeah. So, so yeah. But you know we've got Rotnest, which is our backyard here. It's just not too far. It's probably only eighteen kilometres, but we get the, the full-on heavy southwesters. So, um, and it can get pretty pretty gnarly coming back sometimes. So, so yeah. But it handles all those conditions really quite well. It's quite a quite a dry boat too. Yep. You've been really proactive at adapting your boats and 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 slightly changing different design elements, Scott. One that I really like is the the new side door swim platform um, that's now available. On, on, on some of the boats that you're building. Talk us through the the thought process of incorporating something that hadn't and hasn't been done in Australian waters by an Australian boat builder to something that I look at now and go, it just makes sense, particularly over in the West. But if you talk about sort of Queensland waters and, and the weather that's up north and how the outdoor lifestyle really is a way of life, it's something that's that I think is going to, going to take off and go extremely well for you as a business yeah well it's um since we've, we've incorporated on the 28s we've every boat that we've sold has got it on um and it's really that the idea of doing it like was just just to keep away from the engines getting so you're not around the propellers and some of the clients actually have got young kids too so they don't want to get hit with the propellers and having that platform open up it was just a great idea if they can keep away from that from the propellers and they can use it as a sort of a swim dive platform and we've even got a ladder on it now too so which is which is quite quite good for that setup so so yeah but it's really 
the divers too, they can get set up on their tanks and swim in off that and, and all that kind of stuff too. I'm a diver myself and I think that's a bloody fantastic idea. I really think that's awesome. <laughs> just uh, uh, yeah. just uh, another one, Scott, for you is the Fury Smuggler 660. I know this is coming off the, uh, the back of Pat's excitement because he reckons it's come off his old boat. He, re- he pretty much reckons he's designed it now with his old smuggler no, he used I, to have. I was extremely excited, <laughs> Scott, because I bought a, I think it was a 1989 smuggler when I spent, I was spent eight years in Adelaide, and I yep. lo- absolutely love the boat. I still regret selling it to this day. I wish I just had it in my shed to be able to see because the ride was spectacular, and there was yep. just something, something beautiful about it. It was a, a real classic, beautiful lines. You've acquired um, a complete set of, of of these boat molds. How did this this come about? And the history, I suppose, of Smuggler. They're in. They're a, a real performance boat. As, as well as any that exists um, in Australian waters. Yeah, they've got a legendary status. And, and when somebody just mentioned them to me that they were, they were here and I didn't know really too much about the smuggler. And uh, the, the, actually the moles were sitting out in Kalamunda and probably been sitting out in the yard for about six years. And the previous owner didn't wasn't really into social media at all or, or Facebook. So I had a good opportunity to really get them back out into the market again and and yeah, they really are. Everyone that I spoke to about the boats just love the performance of them. And I don't think there's anything out there with a 27 degree dead rise in that size range as well. So, which made it really attractive. A lot of the guys now, they want to get out quick and come in quick and, and they just want that boat that can handle all, all those kind of conditions. So, so yeah. Now, that's a big difference a 660 uh, uh, smuggler to a 28 foot big. Fury, it's uh, quite yeah. a different boat. Uh, how did you guys? How did you guys go in the sheds adapting to changing? I guess basically everything you do from one size to another. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit of interesting it, the way we've sort of set it up, and yeah, we've we've always had that um, reputation of making you know the bigger twenty eight footers. So going down to something smaller sort of made a bit of sense for us. Something that quicker that we can make and and sort of turn out faster. So so yeah, but we just. We're just lacking that size range, and ideally, we would like to come out with like a twenty-four footer, so have a twenty-one, a twenty-four, and like a twenty-eight um, at some stage down the track. So, so Lecker, yeah, Lecco will have one of each, I reckon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm already talking to him about the smuggler, <laughs> and uh, there's a, there's a few um, eagles that have contacted me about it already. So, um, so yeah, there might be a you know a fleet of uh, smugglers going to some West Coast players, maybe. <laughs> we'll, keep, we'll keep an eye out for that. Now, Mercury yep. over the last month uh, have released their new 600 horsepower outboard, the what will be the largest recreational outboard available since Seven Marine is no longer that really cheap engine. Yeah, manufacturing yep. um, their six two sevens. Is yep. that something that you look at and go, all right? The the market is now looking towards larger trailable boats, which already yep. Fury does. That's what you do. Like it's about yep. as big as you can get when it comes to a trailable boat. But now the the added horsepower in in being able to go a single engine up to six hundred horsepower does that change how you you look to not necessarily manufacture your boats, but how people might look at potentially just um, ordering a boat with a single horsepower versus the twins that obviously the majority of your boats have. Yeah, yeah. Look, we um, really they order a twin for reliability, but we've done a few singles and. And when I heard about the, the V12 coming out, it was it was a real game changer. And 
you know, I'd love to do a single screw on a um, on one of our twenty eights, and I think, um, yeah, I think we'd get a few sales if we um, start fitting <laughs> those engines up for sure. Now, how can people get in contact with you, Scott? Obviously, at the moment, you've got a six two eight. Uh, a two eight two sorry DC X demonstrator yes. that's now available uh, to market. So if you want a boat right now, you can um, pick up the phone and call Scott and get one. But how else to get in, do people get in contact with you in order to look at your range um, about potentially getting a new boat? Well, they can jump on the website, um, have a look, make an email us through that, or yeah, flick us an email, or just give us a phone, give us a phone call, and um, happy to talk to you to anyone about about our range and yeah. Fury.boats at bigcom.com or 0433573545 to get in touch with Scott. Scott, thank you so much for joining us on Real Adventures this morning and talking about Fury Custom Boats. No worries. Great to talk to you guys. Red's Review for Club Marine. Insure your boat with Club Marine, Australia's leading provider of boat insurance. Call and ask for a PDS to see if this insurance is right for you. Now time for Red's review for Club Marine, Redmond boat catchers. We see a lot about them. You and I both have them. For those that don't, they're a must when it comes to making your launch and retrieval far easier. You don't have one because your boat's not done yet. I've actually, I've got one on my stabby. Oh, do you? Yep. I, didn't, I didn't know that. Yep. Anyway, boat catch, fantastic item to get. Uh, I'm going to be straight up and say it right now. They're bloody expensive. They are bloody expensive. And you're looking at for roughly anything sort of like six and under, uh, you're looking at around 650 bucks, and that's not fitted. But you look at the componentry of it. It's insane. It's a very you, good component. Yep. You can actually, the, the, they've done tests where they've hung boats literally From it. <laughs> by the boat catch to demonstrate how strong this is and how much you can trust it. Yep, 100%. They are, they are worth every dollar. Uh, but like I said, the pricey side, 650 for a boat under six metres, six and under. Uh, but then, like I said before, to fit it out, Pat, you need to seek a welder and you need to get it fitted to your boat. If you're looking uh, for anything over that six metres, uh, I believe getting to that 10 metre range is getting a bit bloody big for a boat catch. I reckon you probably nearly should have your boat in the water, to tell you the honest truth, Pat. There's not many 10 metre boats getting around. Uh, a few, and I'm sure it will work perfectly well for you, but they're nearly a thousand bucks. They're about $900. Uh, the diff, the, what, what a boat catch allows you to do, it's a must fishing by yourself. If you're an angler that fishes by self quite a bit, it makes life a hell of a lot easier. Not only that, if you're on the older side of things, not necessarily on the older side of things, but if you are uh, just want to have a safe launch, because boat ramps can get extremely slippery. And the reason I say an older person is because I've seen older people nearly go ass up, and it, it's scary. Like, where if I go up, I can probably bounce back up. But if you're 70 years old launching by yourself, you don't want to slip into the water. Hit your head. It could be really, really dangerous. So it can make things a lot safer for yourself. Uh, like I said, takes away walking across anything to do with that water's edge. And also, um, you don't have people up the front of your boat, Pat, unhooking things and doing things. Now, I had my uncle, and he does yeah, this. This is a mechanism that attaches automatically as soon as the yeah. boat pressure hits the yep. hits the trailer, you'll actually hear it click and then you can literally have the person driving the car pull the boat out of the water and trust that it is going to hold on. Yeah, and all you do is just like as you walk to your trailer to get your car pad, all you do is flick the switch over. It's like a, when I say flick a switch, it's a little arm that sticks out the side, well, a stainless arm that, and you turn it and that's what triggers the uh, lock, locking system. But like I said, my uncle the other week launched the boat and he thought he'd locked my, my, I got a little bit of a different winch system on my easy toe and uh, he thought he'd locked it over and uh, he didn't and the boat went boom back and the safety chain caught it and he only went out the water like two metres 
but we didn't, didn't he didn't engage the boat catch because he hadn't seen it before. He, I just let him go. Yep. But that's, it takes away that person from doing that where something can go wrong. It does take away that. One thing that I will recommend is as you pull out of the water, Pat, as you put, don't, don't rely on it to get you home. As soon as you get out of the water and the bloke doesn't have to get his feet wet, I would then hook the winch up 100%. and the safety's chain up. I see people driving with it from out of Queenscliff, past the wash bays up on top of the grass. Yeah, I trust it, but I've got a $135,000 boat on the back. I don't trust it that much yep. for the extra five seconds. They're away from the water when they pull it up. The pressure of the ramp itself's angle holds it quite nicely. So... That's my little uh, advice there, Patrick. For more information on Boat Catch, head to boatcatch.com. That was Red's Review. Insure your boat with Club Marine, Australia's leading provider of boat insurance. Call and ask for a PDS to see if this insurance is right for you. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's time for Red's Tip. We're talking trawling speeds, something that you often see whilst out fishing. There's a sweet spot when it comes to trawling for fish. It can change, but it's not 15 knots. Let's just say I'm very impressed if some of these people catch a tuna because I'd love to know how fast they fish can swim. They say tuna are one of the fastest fish in the sea, and I'll tell you what, catching some of these boats is going to put up a fair task for them. Uh, I'm impressed with the people that are like... I don't. I think people where they're making the mistake is quite often people refer in the boating industry, in the marine industry, to knots, a bit like uh, nautical miles rather than kilometres. And uh, knots and kilometres are two different things. Easiest way to do it with small numbers, it's roughly half pat. So if I say go five knots at ten kilometres, roughly, you can go into your point sevens or eights if you really want to, but it's roughly around half. So. Uh, when I say I'm trawling between uh, five to six knots, that means I'm sort of between 10 to 14 kilometres, not going 14 knots. So when you're trawling around at 14 knots, you look ridiculous. You're not going to catch anything. Your lure is only going to be doing so much work in the water at that speed. It's just not, to be honest with you, it's not going to be doing anything. It's probably going to be coming out of the it's water. It. It's not worth doing it. Uh, you're not going to catch fish. In saying that, Pat, a little bit of a story at Port Mac a few years ago, I had schoolfish bust up in front of me and I sped the boat up and I had a um, first time and only time we ran it. It was a 14-inch orange squid lure, 14, that's huge. And I had a school of, I had one of those out and I had a school of tuna take, I literally was the boat on the plane. I reckon I was going 16 knots and I had every lure go in my spread at that speed. So I'm contradicting myself a little bit here, but to tell you honest truth, it's not going to work. Slow your speed down. We're talking five knots to 10 kilometers. So five knots is 10 Ks. That's the speed we're going to try and work between uh, and which you need to be mindful of when you've got a following seat. So if you're getting pushed with the following sea, you will tend to fall down waves. Your speeds will go up. You might need to drop the revs down 200. Or if you're going into it again, you might need to bring it back up 200. And that'll be that'll help you catch um, a lot more tuna. Patrick, it is now time for the Flying Gaff and you finish off the show for us. Yeah, the Flying Gaff this week, we're heading... Uh, well, we're heading over to New Zealand. In fact, to, to Auckland. Are we, are we allowed there? The Auckland Coast Guard. An Auckland Coast Guard crew is in hot water after making a bit of a mercy dash to to fetch bottles of tonic water for a luxury charter. They offered $100 cash to the Auckland Coast Guard vessel to bring a box of tonic water after they ran dry on the boat. So it, it must be noted, the, the Auckland Coast Guard, it, it's a volunteer service. But they're offered a hundred bucks cash to go pick up some tonic. Water. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's fantastic. They probably had trying to have a gin and tonic, and 
I think that's fantastic. You say instead of if I was running instead of going to look for you know boats that have capsized. No, it's called. No, nah, mate, we're just going to get some tonic water for the. No, uh, a boat doesn't capsize every eight minutes. Like they've got a bit of time to go snoot in. If they get a phone call, all right, we've got to go take the call. We can't. Sorry, we can't get your tonic water. We can't get you a bottle of Roku gin that I really like. Needless to say, the uh, <laughs> the volunteers have had a bit of a talking to after the New Zealand Coast Guard chief exec said this is not what we are about. Anyway, thank you I'm for going. joining us and listening to our show, Real Adventures, this morning. We'll be back next week. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.